Radio Influence. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. I'm so happy, as always, that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. If you've been with us from the very beginning, and if you or if you listened to that first show that I did with Justin Roberts, uh, you know that uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast was to feature people that don't normally get featured because because that was me. Uh, you know, I, I, I what you know wasn't. Uh, big name. Uh, I was the ring announcer during the Monday Night Wars. Uh, but uh, little by little, as uh, what sold became new again, thanks to WWE Network, nine ninety nine a month. Uh, thanks to them and, and nostalgia, you know, people started calling me saying, "Hey, we want you on our podcast. Tell some stories." And they they liked the stories that I told, and it gave me a chance, you know, to to you know tell my my deal, and it gave the fans a chance to listen to a different perspective. So. Um, I always said, even going back then, you know, for every uh, Lex Luger that's on uh, or Dory Funk Jr., I want to have a Ricky Santana. Uh, for every uh, Bill Alfonso, uh, I want to have a Nick Patrick, who is our second guest. For every Ricky Morton, cheap plug, because he's going to be our guest next week. So uh, be sure to tune in for that. But for every Ricky Morton, I want to have a Rip Rogers. And in that vein, I wanted to reach out to a guy this week. His story is, 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 is fun. Uh, we have a lot of connections, interconnections in our world, friends and mentors. And um, he is a uh, author of a book called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. Uh, Bobby Blaze is going to be our guest this week. And, and, and I hope you enjoy his story and our conversation just as much as you did our conversation with Eric Bischoff last week or, or any of our conversations. Because uh, sometimes to me, it's the stories that aren't fully fleshed out the stories that everybody doesn't know uh you know all the answers to or most of the answers to that are the most fun so uh i hope that uh that like i said if you've been with us from the beginning or if you're just uh new to the show i i uh that's just something i want to keep doing and uh i'm gonna keep on going out and looking for people whose story you may not automatically know who may not be in the class ever of the hall of fame because I'm never going to be in the Hall of Fame. Closest I came to the Hall of Fame was when they used my induction for Sting a couple of years ago. So uh, uh, if you'll indulge me, I hope, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. Like I said, next week we're going to have, speaking of Hall of Fame, we're going to have uh, WWE Hall of Famer, uh, one half of the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, and that should be fun. want to remind you to follow me on social media at David Penzer, at Penzer Ringside. Still having fun engaging with, uh, with, with some of the Twitter followers. And uh, having a lot of fun doing that. And uh, if you do not use Twitter, you could reach me at David Penzer at RadioInfluence.com. David Penzer, all one word, at RadioInfluence.com. So thank you all, as always, for following. Be sure to uh, subscribe if you don't. Leave a review if appropriate. And, uh, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for making this little podcast uh, part of your weekly listening justin roberts dropped me a line speaking of justin roberts dropped me a line uh, a couple days ago uh said that he enjoys when he's traveling uh on an airplane uh listening to sitting ringside so that means a lot to me and uh thanks justin if you're listening 
for the the plug and the, and the goodwill. Uh, anytime I hear something like that, it makes me know that uh, that we're doing this for all the right reasons. Hey, also still waiting for somebody to come up with a name for the uh, our little Rip Rogers segment. We're going to start doing once uh, every four to six weeks, starting in August. Uh, uh, I got some memorabilia here uh, from my personal collection that uh, I'm waiting to give to whoever comes up with the best name of our. Uh, question and answer segment with Hustler Rip Rogers, uh, who uh, was one of the uh, most talked about podcasts that we've done in a long time here a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Uh, if you haven't heard it, be sure to go back and check it out. And uh, if you come up with a name that uh, that that uh, for that segment, um, we'll send you some swag from the uh, from the personal collection of uh, David Penzer. WCW Monday Night Joe ring announcer. You can hit us up on Twitter for that if you have any ideas. So without further ado, let's get to uh, what I think is going to be a really fun conversation. And uh, without further ado, please welcome Bobby Blaze. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we started this podcast over a year ago I think our first, uh, I know our first guest was Justin Roberts, friend of the show, just uh, sent me a nice uh, text actually this week about enjoying the podcast. So thank you, Justin. Uh, second guest was Nick Patrick. And, and if you go back and listen to the, the first episode, I said that as much as you want to have, a, you know, Hall of Famers and wrestling uh, super legends on this podcast, the most interesting stories uh, are the ones that, uh, that, that, you know, maybe everybody doesn't know. And I'm really excited this week uh, to have on Bobby Blaze, the author of Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. I love that, uh, that uh, the title of the book. And, um, you know, we had Rip Rogers on about a month ago. And, and, and you know, not a lot of people know his story, but uh, it was one of the most talked about and one of the most positive uh, uh, conversations we've had in a while. So uh, uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome to City Ringside, Bobby Blaze. Welcome, Bobby. Oh, Dave, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on your podcast, and thanks for such a nice introduction. I uh, sound like you have some really good people in here. Thank you. Yeah, Rip. See, if I'd have said that to Rip Rogers, he'd have been hot. I called him a. Oh, yeah. I called him a journeyman wrestler. He thought he thinks that journeyman was uh, <laughs> meant that uh, it was uh, like you know he was related to somebody. So that was the only time he got reason he got a push, but. But we made nice and uh, ended up having a lot of fun. And uh, so, yeah, Rip's a good dude. He's funnier and shit. So, yeah, he's yeah. he's hilarious. We're actually going to do like a monthly or every six week segment called Politically Incorrect with Rip Rogers. So uh, <laughs> uh, the the fans seem to like uh, him telling it. Like, but but my producer didn't love uh, that the f bomb dropping every three. He could take every five words, but not every three words. That was just too much. But uh, uh, so welcome to the podcast. Um, First, I, I want to ask you the obvious question before we get into your career is uh, what what made you want to write a book about your life? Well, you know, here's what happened, man. Every, you think you go out, you wrestle. I mean, that's what I, I've known you a long, long time. And, you know, you go through all the training and you, you get out on the road and you learn to wrestle, you learn to work. And, you know, you you said it yourself. It's like um, maybe I wasn't the biggest star or anything, but I was I was kind of like a fly on a wall in some of the bigger locker rooms around the world. And I did get to travel the world. Um, 
thus the have booze will travel part of the book and, and what happened was everywhere i went it seemed like someone said hey bobby you know so and so do you know you know do you know dave penzer do you know uh, goldberg or do you wrestle or i saw you wrestle roddy piper or they would come up and approach me uh, whether it be at a party or a football game or, uh, you know, just somewhere local. Um, you can hear my neighbor pulling up out here. Fuck. Anyway, um, so. Is that, a mon- uh, is that Medusa's monster truck? <laughs> it sounds like it. It's fucking guy, I'm telling you. But anyway, I live over here near fucking Boz Bellsman and a fucking crack house in the church. I don't know. I don't go to any of them. So anyway, uh, back to the story. The um, the main thing was, you know, I, and I kept saying, man, people are interested in what I have to say. But I, someone approached me one night at a party. It was a football party. I was just sitting there watching a game. And someone started talking to me about the Dan Severn match. And I said, which one did you see? Well, they started telling me and picking apart both of them in detail. And I, th- I thought it was really interesting. So I came home that night and I wrote some ideas down on a napkin. Um, well, there I wrote some ideas down. I came home and started writing it. And then I just had a couple of stories. I had like six stories. And it seemed like people kept asking me. And I'd say, you know what? They really want to know what the hell, you know. They want to know about the uh, professional rest. They want to know about me. They want to know about my career. They want to know about the people I've met and this and that. And that just said, you know what? I've got some time and um, there's no rush. And I'm just going to um, to start writing a book. And I did. It took a little bit over. The first one took a little bit. I have two, actually. But the first one took about four years. Um, I stumbled my feet about a year into it just because um, I had some personal issues going with family. But uh, after that, man, the writing just kind of flowed. And, um, you know, I, even Cornette, you know, two weeks ago on his podcast, he says something about, you know, Bobby never was the best interview. And he'll tell you that himself. And I just saw him back in, like, May. And but I can write it out, you know, and um, so I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from the book. And that's just where I started at. I just people always want to know, just like your life story, not necessarily your life story, but your wrestling career story. They want to know, like, how the hell did you get up there and you're announcing these shows? How did you manage? How did you how did you break into business or whatever it may be? Do you know so and so? Of course, you know, everyone in the daggone business, man. And uh, that's interesting to people. And there's a lot of people that are, um, uh, you know. Nowadays, I don't even I don't like the two words, uh, uh, quote, sports entertainment. I like professional wrestling, pro wrestling. There's people that still like the old school pro wrestling. and They want to know about, you know, the older guys. Um, so that's where I have a little bit of perspective of just sometimes just been a fly on the wall, man, that, you know, I was in a certain territory and, and uh, you know, heard this story and heard that story. And that's one thing I didn't do in my book, either one of them, and I won't do. I didn't talk trash about anyone. I didn't try to put anyone down. I didn't try to get myself over by, you know, bad-mouthing anyone, anything like that. I kept it real positive. If I knew so-and-so screwing so-and-so or someone's doing this or that, man, I kept that stuff out of her because that's not me. You know, it's not because I didn't want to heat with the boys. I don't want to heat with the boys. But uh, yeah, I'm still one of the boys, and I'm not a, you know, going to uh, say, yeah, I saw this person doing that or that. So I kept it pretty much um, straightforward. Other, And I, I threw a bunch of stories in there that uh, drug, sex, rock and roll and stuff, but all of it came back to me, not anyone else. I didn't point fingers at, you know, anyone. So, yeah. Yeah, it's the drug, sex, rock and roll stuff that'll get you every time. It's exactly why why I'm not writing a book ever in my life. Uh, so, um, and and you know, it's interesting. That's sort of the exact same reason why we did why we started this podcast, sort of on a whim. You know, is uh, is you know, people say, hey, how's uh, you know, how's how's Kevin Sullivan? Is he really you know? So why not ask him? You know, or or tell me this story about you know being on the road with. Uh, you know, in a tour bus with Roddy Piper on his book tour. Well, I didn't get yeah. a chance to bless him to ask Roddy, but you know, I could, I could talk to a, uh, you know, 
talk to people that knew Roddy and, 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 and tell his story. So, so that's sort of why we did it as well. So very similar. Hey, you dedicated the book to Larry Malenko. Um, I, I uh, tell people there's three people uh, in the business, Larry Malenko, Bob Roop, and Jody Hamilton without uh, any of the, either of those, any of those three people, I would not have uh, gotten involved in the business uh, in any real sense. Um, he meant so much to so many people. Um, you know, Bob, you know, Bob Cook, uh, who's a student yes. of his and, and one of the best punches in the business. Um, Bob Cook can't talk about Larry Malenko without without tearing up. Um, he, he, he just he, he really uh, he really he cared about everyone that he came into contact with, especially his students. And he sort of took me under his wing as a as a student, but teaching me about not the, how to wrestle, but about the wrestling business when I was in the Global Wrestling Alliance down in South Florida. What did he mean to you and why do you think he left such a mark on so many people, Bobby? I think, and I, you know, I recall that's where you and I met at there at, at when I first came down from Kentucky down to Tampa, uh, was at his, uh, one of his training camps. And, you know, I think what he meant to people was, first of all, he, to me, he's like a father figure. Um, I know how much Bob Cook thinks of him, and, and I even put that in my book. Um, Bob Cook, you know, one of the best punches in the business, uh, maybe second only to Bobby Eaton or something like that, always messed around. I think, you know, Bob does a better Terry Funk than Terry Funk or something, you know, anyway. It's fun times like that, but back to Boris Malenko or Larry, um, he was like a father figure to me, and I think Dave really he took an interest in everyone. If he asked you how your day was, he didn't want you to to say, yeah, I'm okay. Or, you know, okay. He, he sincerely meant how, how's your day? You know, how are you today? Um, you know, just the simplest of things. He made you feel important. Um, he understood communication like body language and also the way he worded things. It caught your attention as you know, and that you, that you had respect for him when he, when he spoke, it meant something, you know, he, he didn't like, you know, in the ring, sometimes you see guys um, maybe wasting moves and, and not being effective. Well, the way Larry spoke and communicated, he didn't waste words, you know, and I think he took people under it like myself, you know, I came down from Kentucky and he took me under his wing. And I know a lot of people that he went out of his way to be nice to him and, and, was an influence in their life, you know, as, as young boys, but he taught us not only about wrestling, I think he taught us about life and also how to become men. And I don't want to sound, it's like, um, he taught us about life outside of professional wrestling that, you know, one mirrors the other and it's how you conduct yourself in the ring and outside the ring or in around the business. And I, I don't know. It's like, you know, he's just such a huge influence to me. People, I, th I think he's just like a second father to, to so many guys, you know, myself included. And um, like I said, the, the, the best way I can tell you is, is I had a lot of love for him. Um, always spoke to him, even when I was out working a territory somewhere up into, you know, um, I was one of the first people, you know, Dean called when, when he passed away because I was that tight with him at one point. And uh, even though I was back here at the time in Kentucky, um, he just left that huge mark in my heart, man, that um, he took me under his wing. And I think he did have a lot of people. And I think the way he sincerely said, Dave, how's your day? How are you today? Uh, where, where are you booked at? What, what are you doing nowadays? You know, stuff like that. He didn't mean it in a passing by way. He would sit there and say, oh, okay. And then he might even give you some perspective on 
that that's a wise choice or, you know, let's think about this, you know. Um, once I was going overseas and he said, you know, here's one of the first lessons you need to learn about going overseas. Always make sure you get a round trip ticket. If you don't know a promoter or bring it here or there. And I, I mean, that's something so simple. Obviously, you want a round trip ticket, but you don't think about that when you're a young boy, like, oh, man, I got a chance to go to this country or to wrestle. I was going to South Africa one time. He said, you know, you don't know this guy. Make sure he's got a round trip ticket, hotel, whatever. And so, um, yeah, just he took the time to actually care when he asked how the hell you were. Yeah, I could still I don't remember much uh, at 52, but uh, I could still remember the Global Wrestling Alliance offices down in Davie, Florida. And, and, you know, they just invited me over as a favorite of my dad. The guy who ran it, Dr. Red Roberts, was a psychologist in real life. My dad was a psychologist. It was I was a wrestling fan. I was a DJ. It was a favor. They hey yeah, come down to the school. They had the school, the offices, and then the school in the back in the uh, warehouse. And, uh, you know, Red Roberts said hello. Bob Roop, uh, God bless him, later took me under his wing. Uh, but, but but you know, kind of blew me off. And, and I, I walked by Larry Malenko's office and, you know, feeling like, what am I doing here? And he said, hey, you know, what's your name? Come in. Uh, he didn't have – who the hell – I was just a little Mark, really. <laughs> and and I, I wasn't paying him to be, you know, to, to, to train me to wrestle. And he said, sit down. He said, what are you here for? And I said, well, you know, I love this business. I'd be, I'll be a ring announcer. I could, you know, I could speak on a mic, uh, a promoter. You know, I'll put up signs, whatever. And he, he took, you know, he said, all right, if you're going to be a ring announcer in this business, and chances are you're not going to be, but these are the little things that'll that'll separate you uh, if you ever get the opportunity. And if you're going to be a promoter and promote shows or help us promote shows, these are the little things that are going to separate you. And 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 here's this guy who's a legend in the business who, who I used to watch on TV, and he's given me advice when nobody would even really acknowledge my presence. And I'll, I'll just you know I I'll ne- can't I can never forget that. And uh, and you know Bob Roop later on, and then Jody Hamilton and WCW were huge influences. But without Larry Malenko, none of it would have happened. So yeah. uh, God bless him. Hey, who was in your class when you broke in? Was uh, Sean Waltman, or was that after you? Had- yeah, Sean was there. Uh, actually, thanks for sharing that story. That's awesome, man, to know that. It gives me a good, warm feeling in my heart when you said that about him. Uh, yeah, Sean was there. Um, Man Mountain Brody, I think he become um, – when he went – I can't think of his name. Uh, what, what is his name? Big guy. Um, Haystack Cajun Jr. And he right. Yeah, he had um, um, that's for oh, shoot. Oh, Rico Federico was there when I was there. I don't, you know, I'm trying to think. Probably Sean would be the most, you know, notable one that came out of there. Um, Dean, about four months into my training, Dean started coming back to the school, and Dean became a huge influence on me as well. You know, obviously taking me and and work with me because I had the opportunity to be there four days a week at that point. Um, so you know, they had different guys come by though that had you know worked there before. Uh, you know, the Saturdays up in Tampa was open. Um, you know, so you got a lot of guys that come through and just wanted to train maybe, you know, maybe them from Japan or, or something like that. But, yeah, uh, initially, Sean and myself uh, would be, you know, as he was just now starting out when I was. I had about probably 12 to 15 matches before I even came down there. I wouldn't call them matches because no one smarted me up, and I'm up here in the hills of Kentucky just beating our brains out because someone said this is what you do. And when I went down there to Tampa, I had been contacted, you know, on a phone with them. And the closest I get was, was Orlando because I knew a couple guys that lived there, and there wasn't a room over there um, at the camp at the time. And I didn't really know anyone in, Florida, in Tampa. But, yeah, uh, Sean and I became quick friends. 
uh, I was just going down on the weekends. And then once a room opened up, I moved down. And I, you know, he and I traveled around a little bit and stayed with each other and, and stayed at different places. Um, stayed at his grandparents, stayed at Phyllis's place, uh, you know, slept in a car or whatever. But yeah, probably Sean would be the, the number one guy out of that class. You do what you got to do. Always one of my favorite wrestling names was Rico Frederico. But uh, yeah. uh, it's funny. You talked earlier about Cornette saying that you you know weren't the greatest promo, but you could write. And you mentioned uh, Dean Malenko, and I know you also brought up Brad Armstrong in the book. They were never great promos. Uh, God bless Brad, by the way. But uh, they were – I know you mentioned this. They were two of the wittiest guys in the business. And um, – uh, I, I don't think that most wrestling fans, you could say it over and over again, but I don't most think that most fans could appreciate it because it never came across like in their television promos. But right. tell me just about how the what you remember about those two guys. Because, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody wittier. Maybe Arn Anderson. I don't, uh, maybe, oh, I don't know. I, I, you know what? I don't know any two. And, and those guys right there are just so witty. The thing is, they were obviously very, very talented. If they could have came through on our interviews the way they did in the back with the wrestling skills they had, they both had good, excellent skills. Yeah. Uh, both of them had great bodies and tremendous fucking workers, man. They could outwork anyone. If they could have taken that back locker room energy they had and converted it to a damn promo or an interview, they'd have been fucking huge stars, you know? But yeah, some of the things, you know, Dean would just, uh, something he'd come off of the head with. I'm trying to think. Uh, there was Dean, um, hell, you probably announced him down to uh, Universal, maybe. It was. Uh, Dean and, and Benoit against uh, the Armstrongs and um, uh, Rocky uh, Rocky King, I think, was just breaking in a referee at that time or whatever. And Brad was trying to make the tag. There's like 10 guys in the back watching on the monitor or whatever. And they all come through cracking up. as a hell of a good match, of course, with that kind of talent in the ring. But it's Scotty and Brad. And, and you could see them smile on camera like, what the hell is that, you know? But uh, – Brad had jumped up on a rope and was yelling, you know, tag, tag, like, and Rocky turned around and said, get down. And Brad started like this on the side, just like busting a move, man, you know, and it was just fucking hilarious, you know, stuff like that. But um, just, you know, I can't think of one particular, you know, story or, you know, Dean just had a way of just walking up to people and. I, I don't know. It's just just an aura about them. If you you'd have to set it up, you know. And when they when they caught on to something, they could just bury you in a heartbeat and laugh and grin and get over on you. You're like you little bastard, you know. But it, but it's a funny way, you know. It's just um, if they could have just converted that energy into their promos or interviews, and and I love them both, you know. And and um, it, it, just so talented, man. Um, I can't, I, you know, I, I'd be screwing up if I tried to, you know, try to tell you a joke that Brad told me or because he told me stuff in hotel rooms and this and that. And that, that I don't want to talk out of school, you know, and I, nothing like that. But some of the stuff, man, just crack you the hell up, man. Um, with with Dean especially, it was more of a dry, just totally dry sense of humor. And it, and, and it never stopped. I mean, it never turned it off. Uh, oh, yeah. You said something. And you, if you fed in, it's like feeding 
to, to a chain wrestling event because he just you couldn't you couldn't get out of it. He just keep you'd say something, boom. And I think Barry Horwitz one time said something like, you know, if there's a battle of wits between me and Dean Malink, I'm a fucking handicap or something like that, you know, because it's true, man. You can't ever get over the guy. And like you said, it's that cold and it's uh, dry and it's like dry ice, man. It's like, you know, the ice man, you know, it's just that he just had that sense there that you knew he's right on the edge and he's going to click, click, click. And the more you feed him, the more he's going to eat you the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I know most guys, most people can't appreciate this, but some of the the most fun times I've had in the business is, is, is getting, you know, totally picked apart, you know, by somebody, by, by somebody who's a friend like a Dean Malenko or an Arn Anderson or, you know, where they, where they're insulting you, but they're insulting you to where it's so funny. You're laughing harder than anybody else in the car. Uh, Absolutely. If you can't laugh at yourself, man, if them guys eating at you like that and picking at you, that that's the good thing. You know, that's what one thing probably missing in a business day is is being in a car for a bunch of guys and being and so what? You're on the ass end of one of their jokes and they just keep boom, 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 boom on you, and and you gotta just you gotta just take it and laugh and go with it, man, because you know they're just gonna keep on you, man. And I was in Australia with Dean, and he was just a hoot over there. You know, we was over like 22, 23 days, something like that. And every day on a tour bus, he had everyone just freaking rolling. You know, it's just the funny stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a realtor now, and uh, my broker and his uh, – I have a broker and his assistant. And they're always trying to, to, you know, get me to, you know, how human nature is. You know, guys trying to get other guys to, uh, to, to upset them just to mess with them. And – they, they, they always say to me, why don't you, why don't you ever get upset by anything? And I'm like, you know, my best friends in the wrestling business for 15 years in a car were calling me, you know, Jew bastard. That was the nickname. And, you know, uh, you know, God, you can't even say that anymore, but you know, so uh, how could I get mad at something stupid? You know, right. The only thing that offends me these days is, uh, is, is if you mess with my kids, I got two kids. And if you mess with them, that offends me. Other than that, there ain't much you could say. So it's uh, go yeah. ahead. So you got <laughs> it was interesting to me because you got your your first little taste of success in um, the summer of 1991 and 1992 in uh, Eastern Canada. And the reason why that is 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 uh, and people who listen to the podcast will know. Uh, my wife is from um, is from Nova Scotia, and we got married in Saint John, New Brunswick. So oh, okay. uh, uh, almost 26 years to the day this is going to air. Uh, God, she, there's, congratulations. There's, thank you. There's a special place. <laughs> I'd in, like to date a woman like 26 fucking minutes. I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> there's a special place in heaven for, for my wife. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but, uh, but so anyway, so, uh, you know, her grandfather, when I first met him was uh, huge, you know, he's the, he was the guy in the front row that sat there with a cane and wanted to go after the guys, you know, go after the heels. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and, and she was, uh, I don't know if he was still wrestling in that territory in the early nineties, but, uh, she was related by marriage to bad boy Bobby Bass, I think was his name. Yeah, he was there actually summer before. I uh, He was there in like 89 or 90, yeah. I think, because people was asking me about him. I'm like, no, I'm Bobby Blaze, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I knew the name, but he had he had been there the year before. Rip used to work up there also. He, he broke – it didn't break in up there, but he worked up there too. Yeah, we talked – The old Maritimes, man, yeah. is a great territory. Seven fucking days a week, sometimes twice on Sunday. It was a great place to get experience. I was traveling with Rico, and um, they had uh, – uh, Leo Burke was there, um, bad boy Eddie Watts, Goldie Rogers, Ron. 
John Starr, the original Cuban assassin, Angel. What a, I learned, he was 52 when I was there the second year. You talk about fucking learning, man. He just right there teaching every night in the ring. You know, it was a great, great experience. Leo's brother, the, uh, the Beast, Cormier. Um, the first year I traveled with Rico up there, and we, we got a car for a couple of the guys and just, just did it, man. We Versus two guys in a single bedroom, they end up being like four guys in a single bedroom, just booking hotels on a uh, Friday and Saturday. You always got a hotel and just, you know, living a life, man. Uh, basically making, I think when the first time I took uh, my money over, I'm supposed to be getting like, at first it was 500, then it went to 600 a week. And it was still like $473 or something. I'm like, what the fuck? This is Monopoly money. But I was learning so much. And, and, and you know, it was just a great experience to be up there. And the people up there were wonderful, man. If you got a wife from that area, good for you. <laughs> Those people were so fucking, they hated the heels, but they understood. You know, you did your job. But, man, the people. Oh, they were just so awesome. And a lot of Canadians are, and they're so laid back anyway. But that territory for two summers, I went up there, I think, 16 weeks each time. And it was just a, a awesome fucking experience for me. Loved it up there. They, they really are nice up there, almost to a fault. And uh, Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Eddie Watts. Uh, the first, I, when I went up to meet her family, uh, when, uh, when we were first together, uh I went to a show at, uh, I think, Moncton uh, Hockey yeah. Arena, and Eddie Watts was there. Shorter guy, correct? Yeah. A really yes. good worker. And I thought yes. to myself, as somebody who had, you know, sort of, been, you know, watched a lot of the business and been a sort of, you know, studied it, uh, I thought to myself, this guy actually, you know, good worker, has charisma, and, and uh, nothing ever really happened to him. And I totally forgot the name until you just said it. But, yeah, he was he was a good hand. I wonder, yeah. any idea what ever happened to Eddie Watts? No. You know, he went to Japan in between the summer tours. He went to Mexico and Puerto Rico. Uh, he was originally from Winnipeg. And, and the last time I uh, spoke with him was third person. Someone said, hey, you know, uh, Eddie Watts told me to tell you hello if I ran into you. And that's been years ago, man. And it was a guy that actually was from the Maritimes that I was just talking to on uh, Facebook of all places. And he was like, Eddie, you know, he, he went back uh, maybe three years ago, I think, was a guy from West Virginia actually went up there and did like 20 shows um, for someone in that area. They just ran. And Robert, the, the Acadian Giant, you know, Big Robert, uh, he fucking in movies and stuff, you know, right. he, he was, that was his rookie year. And then I worked with him his rookie year and then the following year. And what a great guy he is. And I think that's who I was talking to. It might have even been on Twitter or something. And Eddie had come back over there. Uh, Dan Marsh was a referee. And Mary Bond was a newspaper lady. I keep in touch with those people. One of them said, you know, hey, Eddie was up this way for a couple of those shows and said to tell you how if I talk to you. So as far as I know, he's back out in Winnipeg, man. But I, you know, I have no proof of that. Just... That's the way the world of wrestling is. You have so many acquaintances, and you have you have a few friends, of course, obviously, that you you know stay in touch with. But you meet so many people, Dave. You know that sure. some of them are just acquaintances. Man, like, hey, how the hell are you? It's good to see. You. That's like Dean. I love Dean to death. I could walk by Dean and shake his hand and say, hey, I love you, brother. How are you? And we could walk by each other. Fuck you, Dean. Fuck you, Bobby. And keep on. You know, it's just one of those relationships because we had you know like. To me, I shared his, he was kind enough to share his father with me, you know what I'm saying? So it's, a, and I talked to Jody, used to talk to Jody all the time. He sent me some stuff. He actually did a little nice little write-up on on my book, In Pin Me, Pay Me. Um, he wrote a little thing, real nice about being a part of uh, my life and influence on it. And um, I sent him a copy, of course, because of that. Uh, he's, he's always had a kind word for me. And he's another river, too, you know. People don't realize that. What a 
quick wit that fucker has. But but nonetheless, you know, what a great family to me. So growing up in that house, like when they were about 12, had to be an interesting uh, between Joe Malenko and Dean Malenko, because you're right. They both they both have the same sense of humor. So it either had to be highly entertaining or it would have had to have driven Larry nuts. But uh, I don't know. But uh, so, yeah, interesting. Eddie Watts. I hadn't heard that name in a while. Um, So uh, did some overseas tours. You mentioned South Africa. I read uh, your book. You went to Australia. Tell me uh, uh, any places that stood out and any stories from your international travel that you. Oh, you know, Australia is beautiful. By the way, it's my it's, it's my favorite place in the world. If I win the lottery, I'm moving to Sydney Harbor. There you go, man. That's nice. Yeah. I loved it over there. It's really awesome. People were awesome. Um, I did five tours of Japan with Michinoku Pro. Uh, two, the shortest one was two weeks. Uh, the longest one was six weeks. And you know, I loved going to Japan. That was great. Uh, South Africa, that was just kind of a fluke. Went over there for like 28 days. And it just it was just a cluster fuck. Uh, but anyway, uh, you can read about that in the book. It, 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 it happened. You know, I got there, got paid, and got home safe. Thank goodness. But uh, loved Australia. The people there were awesome. Uh, a couple of stories, you know, I can't really tell. But I've always told the Sue Shooter story. Someone sent me a picture of her from down at I think at Mania or fucking WrestleCon or somewhere. Uh, had a little incident in a hotel room, and that's uh, that's kind of made its way around and around on some of these podcasts I do. But yeah, you know, uh, Canada. Uh, just dipped my toe into Mexico for a couple of days and out. I wouldn't even for a cup of coffee, really. It just didn't work out, but I was there and boom, back home. But, you know, um, everything, I, just looking back, you know, you get older and you take a different perspective than what you had then. Back then, you're just trying to survive and get by and get over and have a good time and and uh, do the best matches you can. And But sometimes, you know, you're just looking out a fucking bus window and you're going, man, I just want to be back home, you know, or can't wait to get back in the states or or whatever. So um, you know, I just and now I'm older. Is my whole perspective is just you know what? How fucking lucky and how blessed was I to get to do all these things, all because of professional wrestling. Because the talent I had, it took me around the world with someone else's dime, and I got to meet these awesome fucking people from all over the world. Some that I still stay in contact with, including you. I mean, I mean, I would have never met you if it wasn't for that. Here you're a fucking ring announcer for World Championship Wrestling, you know? That that that's big time, man. That's big time, Dave. So yeah, it's awesome. I wish there were more people like you. <laughs> Oh, you got to be fucking positive, man. You you know, I've mentioned your name on a podcast that someone asked me, and I didn't know if I should bring it up or not. But it was I had a point of the story, and I don't, you know, but, uh, you know, it's just uh, someone asked me about you, and I put you over, of course, and that's what I was trying to do. But um, they, 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 it was a couple of uh, people on the phone. Do you want to hear the story? Me? Yes. Uh, Someone asked about you, and I, I, was, well, I, I was telling well, the story, well, well, and I put you over is what I was trying to do. Well, I get to my 26th anniversary? <laughs> yes. All right, tell the story then. But no, I, was on, I was on another podcast, and there was uh, – I was I was aware of I was on the phone with and I don't want you to take this uh, out of const what I'm telling. Like I told you, there's Malenko, nothing you can say that's going to offend me. Exactly. So I want you to hear that one more time because what happened was this: I was on the phone. Uh, it was a Christmas special for a podcast, and um, the host stepped away. I, was, I realized I was on the phone with like four Jewish guys, 
Okay, so one of them want to know about Dave Penzer, what kind of guy he was. Well, first of all, I think you're a fucking first-class guy. I always liked you. Uh, you know, I always have, and that's cool. I'm not telling you come on your fucking podcast. I might want it. You cut it off when you want, you know. But uh, the guy said, hey, man, um, well, I've got some time here. And it was just it was one of the one-edited uh, podcasts. He says, uh, what about Dave Penzer? And I said, oh, fucking Christ killer, are you kidding me? <laughs> And they fucking went nuts. They went nuts. But I knew they was all Jewish and it was Christmas time. So I was like, I got, but I had a point. So they started going fucking nuts. And I like, they like, and I go, no, no. I go, listen, I go, fucking Malenko was Jewish. I'm not, I'm not being anti-Semitic. Here's my point of my story. And so you can kind of verify this with me. And of course, you know how I meant that just because of the holidays. And I, I was aware of who I was on the phone with. And they asked about you specifically. Well, I had a point because I was going to put you over. I wasn't going to bury you. I didn't bury you in one of my books. Why the fuck would I bury you on a podcast? You know what I'm saying? Sure. And nor was I trying to put bury you just now. The point was this. We were on a plane. I don't know where. And it was when we was in WCW. I think you was with either, I want to say, JJ or Bobby Heenan. I can't remember which one. You were sitting up towards the front of the plane. And they come on a started off. It was overbooked. And they wanted people to step off the plane. I know exactly. And I was they, going to Daytona what Beach. What did you fucking say? What did you stand up and fucking say? Yeah. They, they, <laughs> I was going to Daytona Beach for Bash at the Beach, and I was on an early Saturday flight, and uh, and they came on first time, and they said, um, uh, we'll offer a $250 credit to uh, anybody who will give up his seat. And I was like, I don't need a credit. I fly for free, you know, WCW's dime. So then they came back on, and they said about 15 minutes later, and they said, they said, we'll offer $250 cash money to the first person to ring their button. And I rang that button. I said, this Jew's taking the money. And I walked off the plane. Thank you. <laughs> that was the point of my fucking story. I was trying to tell them that. They, when I said that first, they started going nuts. Like, what the fuck? And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, this is what happened. Of course, blah, blah, blah. Creative liberties were taken. And I said, Dave Pinson one hell of a fucking guy. And I said, that was a story for the setup. And they, they went nuts, man. They wanted to ban me from the show and shit. I'm like, oh, man, this is too far. So, yeah, I, I used that line because I thought that was so cool when you was telling that story. That you, you took it and got off the plane. That's awesome, man, you know. And, I, 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 of course, I ended up telling them, hey, I, because I put you over. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to pin me, pay me, motherfucker. Hey. That's all I I'm saying is like it, that was a good story. I had a setup for it. I wasn't trying to bury. I knew where I was going, but I also knew that those guys being Jewish, they might take it the wrong way. They fucking jumped over till I got to the fucking punchline of you know what kind of guy you were, you know. So that's a thank that, you for sharing that with. Yeah, that's, that's a that's right. a that's a great story, man, and it's it's a hundred percent true. I went to the Crown Room. I drank about five vodkas and sprites, and I got on a flight two hours later with 250 bucks in my pocket. How do you beat that? And, hey, and, and I got him to put me in first class, which I, 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 I uh, wasn't flying at the time, although later on I was, had enough points that I could just get automatically upgraded. Those right were the on, days. But, uh, but, yeah, yeah, hey, I – no, no, no hard feelings whatsoever. That's what I said. And uh, I think it's, you know, we may live in a politically correct society and so be it. But uh, I, I don't regret it. Uh, and I'd say it again on a plane tomorrow. It'd just be on all of probably be all over social media and 
24 hours, but uh, oh, yeah, of course it would, man. But that, that's just the way things were back then. You could say stuff like that, and and uh, you did it, and, and it was hilarious. And fuck, like you said, you're, you're in the fucking having a few drinks, and you're $250 richer, and you're gonna be two hours fucking later. Big deal, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I loved it, man, because um, I, I just thought that's great, and, and I told that because I wanted to say something. You know, I could, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah. Well, you seen him doing ring announcing. He's great. And then be a, a dead fucking podcast for the guys, you know, just having a fucking Christmas party podcast, you know. I, I want to liven it up. So sure. I, I'll enter your name. I want to fucking get you over, you know. Um, so, yeah, thank you, man. That was, that, that's tremendous, tremendous. <laughs> this is like this podcast. I, I love getting these. I love, I've been doing podcasts for almost three years now, and I just started my own. We're growing. You know, I've had, uh, we started June the uh, 2nd, and we do a top 10, and we do this, and I go on rants and raves. We do, do a listener shout out and, and this and that, and we do a, a, I do a rant, and then we do like a top 10 of, of whatever. And uh, I love it, man. These podcasts are great, and I, I just want to, you know, just, when I, I can get on one and talk to someone, especially an old friend like you, and then reminisce, and then you knew the fucking punchline because you lived it. It was you. I just is like, you can't get any better than that, man. I remember exactly where I was going, Daytona Beach. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, we talked about Ting Mobile, the best mobile you've never heard of. Ting does mobile phone service differently. You only pay for what you use. No startup fees, no contract, no plans. I wish this was around when my kids were teenagers. Would have saved me a fortune. It's also perfect if you spend most of your time around Wi-Fi. Why pay for data you don't use? The average Ting bill is just $23 per phone per month. Nationwide LTE coverage means you'll have great network coverage from coast to coast, and almost any phone will work with Ting from that ancient Motorola Razor. Remember those? To the latest Galaxy S9 or iPhone 10. Reliable customer service. You get to talk to an actual human being when calling in. I love that. Get $25 off your bill or $25 off a new phone in the Ting shop at ringside.ting.com. That's ringside, D-O-T-T-I-N-G.com, ringside.ting.com. So let's get into Smoky Mountain. That's funny. Let's get into Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, uh, you indicate in the book that it took you a while to get uh, to get Cornette to book you there. And uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about that and how long it took you to get in and then what it was like yeah. wrestling in a, in a territory. And, and other than maybe... Memphis and Puerto Rico, uh, one of the last territories in the in the business. Absolutely. Well, you know, I was down there in Tampa. I was, I was actually living over on the uh, uh, Clearwater side at the time, and I ran into Tommy Rogers over to the gym, and we was, we were speaking not at the uh, at the weightlifting gym, not at the the ring, and we we started talking. I had known Tommy from the ring, of course. And um, long story short, now he said, "Bobby, aren't you from up here in Tennessee or Kentucky?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Cornette's open territory up up here." And I said, "Is that right?" He said, "Yeah." He says, um, "You can be home tonight around nine. I said, "Yeah, I will." He said, "Call uh, call Jimmy and gave me his number." So I called Cornette up, and um, Jimmy was like, "Hey, Bobby, I know who you are, blah blah blah, but I'm on the other line, I'm conducting business. Let me call you back." And he never called back. So next day, I ran into Tommy at the gym, and he goes, "Hey, did you call?" Yeah, blah blah blah, and he says. Be home tonight at nine. So I was home. Sure enough, man, Cornette called me at nine o'clock. He said, hey, Bobby, blah, blah, my apologies, whatever. So we had contact. And he said, here's the deal, man. He said, uh, I'm, I'm opening this territory. I'm not full time yet. Um, I know who you are, but send me some information, send me some promos, et cetera. So I sent him uh, a package out, of course, that had, you know, some some eight by tens and some old VHS tape that I put together from down in Florida and just different little things I'd done. 
And um, so I came home in June of 92 for a couple weddings I was going to be uh, participating in. And Smoky Mountain, so I stayed on and off of Cornell for just a little while there. We, t- we spoke uh, by phone like once a month or so. Well, he was, they were at the Smoky Mountain show about an hour from my house, and I was going to be in town. And so I drove up to the show, got there early. And, and sit down and talk with Jimmy. And he was like, you know, this." I gave him another package, pretty much the same bullshit stuff. Right. Uh, at that time, I think I'd went to, uh, since I think I just got back from uh, South Africa, rather, when I gave him that package. I said, you know, here's a couple other things. He said, well, here's the deal. We're, we're really starting to get things rolling here. He said, but uh, why don't you watch the show and see if you think you can fit in here somewhere? And and uh, and I was, I was getting ready to actually go back to my second tour of Canada at the time. So that was good timing. And that, that's why I was heading from, from Florida up, up north anyway. So, uh, you know, so again, we, we met, we talked and it was all, you know, he's just, so I sat over, I knew Robert Gibson. I remember uh, meeting Brian Lee that night and uh, I met Scott Armstrong that night. But uh, anyway, so I was like, you know, hey, you coming in? I'm like, I don't know yet. I'd, I'd like to, you know, fuck, I'd love to, but I don't know if he's got a position for me, but, but whatever. So I went back to Canada and then I went over to Australia. When I got back from Australia, Bobby Fulton called me, and Bobby was a huge influence on getting me a Smoky Mountain because Bobby called me and asked me to be on a couple of shows. He was running shows up here in Ohio, right, right, right not too far from me. He still does. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just went to his retirement show uh, back in uh, Memorial Day weekend. Right. Um, I went to the Fan Fest all day. I couldn't stay. Sadly enough, I didn't get to stay for the actual wrestling show. Um, I was having some eye problems. I couldn't drive at night. But uh, that's a whole side story. But anyway, um, so Bobby, I, I start working on a couple of shows from Bobby. And out of nowhere, you know, and, and he told me what I asked him, you know, what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. And he said, um, you know, let me let me put a word in Jimmy for you. And I, right after the Bluegrass Ball in 93, Robert Gibson hurt his ankle. And Jimmy Cornette called me up and he said, Bobby, we got three shows. Would you like a tryout? And I said, yes. And obviously I went to it. I went to Beckley. I worked with Brian uh, Lee, opening match. I st- Really good shape at the time. Just got back from Australia, tan, been working with Bobby Fulton. Went out and worked like 15 minutes. Brian Lee, you know, he's a he, Jimmy took me in the bathroom. We got so many, me and Jimmy got so many fucking bathroom stories. <laughs> we do. He had me tell one at Fan Fest last year uh, down in the Carolinas there. But anyway, uh, this one here a little bit different. He said, This is Brian Lee. Uh, he said, You mind putting him over? I'm like, Look at this guy, six fucking six and 280 pounds. Yeah, I'll put him over. <laughs> you know, tell me he's former TV champion and your first champion here, whatever. You know, I've got to do it. I'm here for a trial. So it went real well. And after that, uh, Robert Gibson got hurt like maybe two weeks later. And Jimmy called me and said, Bobby, we got three shows uh, up in the Kentucky area. You want to fill in on a card? And they moved someone up up on the roster. And I did opening match every night with uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard with Cornette as, as manager. So how much better can it get when you're working on some like fucking Tom Pritchard three or four nights in a row? And then Cornette's out there managing an opening match uh, because they needed a space on, you know, to fill in a show. So he's right there seeing my fucking work, you know. And um, the every night, powerbomb whatever it was, one, two, three. On the fourth night, we were about an hour from my hometown. And um, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis comes in the locker room and says, Bobby, uh, what's your finish? And I looked down like, what the? And, and I love Brian to death. I said, what, what the fuck are you talking about? My finish, I'm going to take the power bomb from Tom, right? He goes, no, no, Jimmy brought you someone in. You're going over in the first match. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, we like you, man. He goes, um, just, what do you want? I said, drop kick off the top rope. And he said, good enough. And I went out and, and actually I knew the guy. Um, I'd worked a lot. I've been uh, 
indie show with this guy from over Virginia before. So went out there and had a good little opening match. I had a lot of, it's Kentucky. How can I not have a lot of fucking relatives in a fan in the stands, <laughs> right? They're all fucking cousins inbred and fucking hillbilly, you know? So yeah. So I went over in that first match and after that, Jimmy um, called me for TV and, um, Gave me a couple little things, and he put me a Bobby Eaton, Dirty White Boy, a couple of that. I'm like, how the fuck can you not have a good match when you're in a ring of Bobby Eaton? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, Jimmy started talking, said, hey, you got some different gear. Would you like to come in? And, man, I came in and never looked back. He was always good to me. I have nothing but love and respect for Jimmy. We still speak to this day. He gave me a push as a junior heavyweight champion. I'll be speaking on my podcast about uh, the late, great Chris Candido uh, coming up here real shortly because uh, I had my first big run in the U.S. with him. And then, of course, eventually I went from the junior heavyweight to uh, to getting the Smoky Mountain heavyweight title in a three-way with uh, Buddy Landell, Dirty White Boy, and uh, Jerry King Lawler. And there you are, main event, and I'm fucking, uh, you know, Knoxville Civic Coliseum and Johnson City Freedom Hall and all these towns. Uh, and, and the thing was, Jerry Lawler that week got beat earlier that week by Bill Dundee for the USWA title. And then later that week, uh, he puts me over uh, for the, you know, Smoky Mountain heavyweight title. So how fucking professional is that? And and also, you know, helping some young boy get a good push for the promotion he's working for. And the territory is great. We work probably no less than 12, but usually about 15, 16 dates a month. And and some of the shots, I could be right home in, in two hours. And, and some of the times I'd go and I'd, I'd drive my first town for like four hours work that show and, you know, stay there for three or four days in a hotel and work all within a three or four hour distance and then eventually come back home. You know, I worked pretty much uh, Thursdays through Sunday and then Monday was always uh, TV the first Monday of the month. So you get four days right there and come home for a couple and then you're right back out on the, um, you know, on the road again for another Friday, Saturday, Sunday loop or uh, it was great, man. I enjoyed it. The money, you know, was um, you didn't make a whole lot of money. I made really decent money, but the because uh, Cornette took good care of me, I, he paid the guy that done TV seventy five dollars just to fucking do TV spots, you know. But um, you know, I'd done personal appearances. You got money for that, but but those appearances and the big thing up here was man gimmick sales. Right. So I, you, know, you got there, I, the Rock and Roll Express and Tracy Smothers. Uh, they smart me up to the gimmicks wars real quick, man. And um, we was in John C., Tennessee one day, and Tracy's like, hey, Bobby, you got any pictures? I have some old black and white pictures. Come here. And he said, go up here. Don't buy them for $2 each. You go, go home and get some picnic. I'm like, what the fuck? I, because when I was in Canada, the office sold pictures and stuff, but you didn't get any of it, you know. Right. And, and that was fair enough. I knew, you know, I knew the deal. But um, in Smoky Mountain, man, it was like the old Memphis territory and stuff. You sold gimmicks, and brother, them gimmicks, when you could sell, you know, wristbands, hats, T-shirts, bandanas, well, fucking like the rock and roll, they sold everything, you know, they they was the kings, and I was probably third in sales because uh, they had uh, Tracy, I, Tracy beat me, he was fucking popular babyface, you know, but rock and roll killed it, then Tracy, and then a lot of nights, man, I come out of here like, damn, man, that's, this is more money I've ever made in the wrestling business, but I'd always have that check, you know, when, when Cornette would pay you on that Monday or that Tuesday, whatever payday was, um, never once when I went on a roll of Smoky Mountain did I ever have to cut it in my check because the gimmicks always pay for my hotel, my gas, you know, uh, food, whatever. So it was, to me, I loved it. I, I would have never left that territory if it wouldn't have ever shut down, you know. And Jimmy paid me every dime he ever owed me when it shut down. And uh, we still have a great relationship to this day. 
And it's all based on respect for the business, love for the business. I, I don't know about you, Dave, but I think um, probably between Bobby and Cornette and myself, we might be the last three, and I think Jimmy's given up. Mike still believe it's real to us, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, but I spoke to Bobby uh, just a couple months ago uh, at that reunion and uh, uh, Jimmy and stuff, but uh, I, I, I think we all three know now, you know, <laughs> that, that shit's long sailed. But, uh, you know, you can as a fan, you can have that hope in your heart, man, that <laughs> it's still pro wrestling to me damn it you know <laughs> still real but, but i don't even hardly watch it anymore you know because because of that uh but i just love I, I, if i if i watch wrestling i watch older stuff man you know because I, you got to grow up in a florida territory how how many i always think how fucking awesome is that you got to see all the guys the florida championship wrestling i tell you kevin sullivan someone's always so good to me i saw him at that reunion show and he and i he come to my house on my birthday about oh man about three or four years ago he was doing some shows for a promoter up West Virginia, and the guy said, hey, I'm going to have Kevin come down, and I had a ring set up. I used to do this on my birthday every year, set it up out back, blah, 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 and this dude, he said, I'm going to have Kevin come down your birthday. I, You're fucking crazy. He goes, no, I've got him coming in for 10 days, and he got booked up here, and he said, we're off for that Tuesday and Wednesday, and um, I'll be damned, they didn't show up, man, and we sat out back and spoke for like four fucking hours, man. I was just like, how cool is that, man, to, to sit there with someone you really admire and respect like Kevin Sullivan, I'm like, man, it, it, this wrestling bit, just sitting there talking to you right now, reminiscing about it. How, how cool is that? You can talk about, you know, guys that you met and guys that you know and guys you hung out with and guys that you done other things with, you know, maybe get a little party going or have a little fun or whatever. We won't even bury anyone on that. I, you ne- know that. I, I never did that. I never did that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You, you, <laughs> You're a nice young yeah. man, you know. I was single at the time, you know, so I, I, that's why I'm single now. <laughs> hey, uh. You know, it's funny, Kevin, uh, uh, to get off on a tangent of Kevin Sullivan, and he's been on the show, uh, I think he did two full episodes, and he, he came on when we did a, a show about Andre the Giant when they, his move, the movie came out. But uh, uh, Kevin's a friend of mine, but he's not only so knowledgeable in, in, in professional wrestling, but he he just he seems to know a little bit about everything. He knows about the, you know, world history. He knows about, uh, he can tell you, you know, uh, you know, who played oh, first base for the Red Sox in 1942? Baseball, yeah. baseball, and boxing, and, yeah. and man, he. But I tell you, Kevin, like uh, he has one of the greatest minds. Him and Cornette. How can you not be around guys like that and not fucking learn something about professional wrestling? But also, like you said, Kevin, he 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 he's, he knows a, lot, a little bit about everything. Everything. He's a smart guy, man. Hey, you mentioned uh, Rock and Roll Express and gimmick sales. I'm gonna have uh, next week. We got Ricky Morton on the show. So uh, tell me, tell me uh, the what you thought was the, the hokiest gimmick that they sold. And so I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him about it next week. <laughs> oh, you know what? I don't even know. Uh, they they said they sold so many different things. Um, to the, what comes to mind right away, uh, we we all had these little headbands and and uh, glitter paint girls would do these little wristbands for you and hats and this and that. But we were getting ready to do the bluegrass bra one year, and I don't know where they got them at. They, they they went to some fucking uh, probably flea market or county fair or somewhere one whatever. But they used to do and then you tell Ricky I said hello. He's a good dude. I haven't talked to him for probably two months maybe. I talk Robert and I do a show together every October. I talked to him two or three times a year. Ricky called me about a fucking booking. Uh, something over here Ohio. Anyway, nonetheless, back to the gimmick thing. They came into Pikeville. And they had these inflatable fucking guitars like you see at the county fair where you got to throw like a dime in a fucking uh, 
cup or something or yeah. throwing them rings on a damn uh, pop bottle or something like that, you know. I don't know if, if one of their uh, girlfriends or rats or whoever, uh, business associates, went out and found a bunch of these fucking inflatable things on sale somewhere. I don't know what happened. They showed up, and I don't even know what the fucking markup was. They had uh, people over blowing them up, and um, they was selling these rock and roll fucking them, them, them red, green, neon, green, pink, Guitars, man. They was signing Rock and Roll Express, you know, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, whatever. Uh, that was pretty cool because I know they kicked ass on gimmicks that weekend because that was a good run for me. And I know if I'd done good, them fuckers, I'd get the flow over for them lines, you know. <laughs> but uh, I do remember that because they always sold bandanas and T-shirts and, you know, pictures out the ass, you know, all that stuff. But it, back then, Polar would have popular. Now I see them, you know, we all do the, the camera phones and stuff. But, yeah, they, them guys were great. Great guys to be around and learn from. Again, uh, they didn't even room together that often. I'd, I'd room with Robert quite a bit. Uh, back in those days, because um, he'd be coming up from Florida at that point. But yeah, those probably those uh, plastic fucking air blow up uh, inflatable guitars. That was that was a pretty good deal. That's a great uh, idea. That's a great idea. Oh, it was someone. I can't remember how they got them, but man, they come to that show and I don't know Ricky popped for them, and they started selling them. And I don't know how many shows they sold them for, but the two. But man, they they went through a shitload of them. I know that. My favorite gimmick is somebody told me, I think it was Bobby Eaton because it's his father-in-law, so, told me that Bill Dundee in Memphis sold pencils. Bill Dundee pencils. <laughs> oh, so you get, to, you get to go to uh, fourth grade and, or, or, or middle school and, and with a Bill Dundee pencil uh, and do your math. Uh, but, uh, I, so, hey. Or stab someone in the fucking forehead with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, you mentioned Brian Hildebrand, and my very next line of questions that I have or topics was, and I'm going to read it verbatim, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about one of my favorite people, Brian Hildebrand. Uh, any other uh, any other stories? He's, he, you know, I put him up there with Bobby Eaton as one of the nicest guys in the history of this business. Yeah, he's he was a great guy. Uh, he and I, believe it or not, my first night in on that tryout match, he came up to me, shook my hand, and we hit it off. He was such a fan of the business, you know. That's the name Mark. You know, he yeah. said he took Curtis from King Curtis, but Mark Curtis, you know, and, and uh, nothing but love. We he says to me after he introduced himself, he says, "So I heard you um, survived the uh, Malenko training camp," <laughs> and so he knew who Boris Malenko was, and that that really popped me because I was like, "Oh, you know," and and so. I always used to do the Hindu squats. I was really big on those. You know, he, he always done those. Um, uh, I always done the 10 and ones and stuff like that, that Larry had showed me to stay in conditioning. And when I would start cranking out those every night, probably for three years. And I was there like two, two and a half of it. Um, when I started doing those Hindus, whether I was doing 50 or 500, that fucking Brian or Mark Curtis, whatever, he would get there and do them right with me. We'd knock out 50 or 100 every day. And I, I remember being down in, um, here's a good story. We was down in Macon, Georgia. I was going to wrestle uh, one, two, three kid time, Sean. And he was getting that push in uh, uh, WWF at the time. And we were opening matches, a big MAGA show down in Macon, Georgia. And, um, Brian and I used to get in a ring and stretch together. we do the Hindu squats together. We were in a ring one day stretching in Macon, Georgia, and he said, Bobby. I looked up and I saw this guy, and I was like, I think I know who it is. But I didn't say anything because he's too far away. And I was like, man. And he goes, Bobby, you know who that is? And I looked, and the guy was walking towards the ring. And I'm like, 
Oh, shit. I jumped up as Dory Funk Jr. Oh, wow. I never had met him before. Yeah. And he had come down for that show. And uh, so, man, I ran over and introduced myself to him and Marty, you know, and it was just fucking great. But but Mark was, you know, Mark had already known him, of course, but he's like, you know who that is? And I kept looking like what? And as he got, I was like, yeah. And I just, I like, didn't wait for you, you know, I just ran over there like, but yeah, Brian, just so many good memories. And what a great guy, sweetheart of a guy, fucking, you know, um, you know, some people are just trying to be nice and you, you sense that, you know, they're not sincere or they're being overly nice for a hidden agenda. Yeah. Brian Hildebrand wasn't that way. No. He was just nice out of the kindness of his heart. He, he was another person that genuinely cared. And I spoke to, um, I was doing another podcast, uh, just a few weeks ago for the fourth of July special and another one. And, and we was talking about referees and you had one of them on here, Nick Patrick, um, you know, Tommy Young was a great referee, and I always thought Mark Curtis was. And I and I said, you know, to me, and of course Charles Robinson. I, I think the world Charles. He and I had our tryouts together in, in WCW. But um, uh, I put Nick Patrick, and that was my my four right there. You know, but I put like Mark Curtis up. I'm like, you gotta have Mark Curtis. And everyone was agreeing because they were Mark Curtis fans. But uh, you know, and he did a lot of things like Tommy Young. You know, as you know, he just you know you emulate the best, and so did uh, so so did Charles early in his career. You know, but Judas, and then and of course I think the world Nick too. I, I know you do but um anyway back to brian he's just one of people just such a sweetheart of a guy man and uh gone too young gone too soon sadly but that's just the thing about our businesses you have all those acquaintances but but brian he was a friend of mine you know and um he was a friend uh, and a sincere friend you know to everyone that he'd come in touch with i think he touched our life in some way in a very positive way well the testament to that was all the people that came out i don't know if you were there when we did the uh, memorial, uh, not memorial, but we uh, did the show for him in Knoxville in WCW. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but uh, Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan came out. They had never, they, they, you wouldn't see Bobby Heenan at a house show if there was a $1,000 uh, payoff at that point in his life. Uh, Flair came out and presented him with a, a gold belt. Uh, Flair wasn't even scheduled to be there. And, uh, and, and uh, just, you know, Jericho, I think it was Jericho and, uh, Eddie against uh, Benoit and Malenko was the main event, and uh, uh, Mark Bryan uh, slid in at the end and counted the one, two, three. They did a ref bump, but yeah. uh, I'll tell you another story that you'll get a kick of because the, the two people you know very well. Uh, after he went into remission for the first time, he had cancer, and then he, he went into remission, and he went back on the road with WCW, and me, him, and Dean Malenko, your old buddy, uh, rented a convertible it was we were, we were driving through the desert going to sturgis for uh the pay-per-view in sturgis and we rented a convertible his uh dean was driving i was in the front seat uh he was in the back he was just so happy that he was yeah. back in the business and that he was he was he was cancer free and uh, we had this little seven like 70s bubblegum music tape you know like and and we put it on you know like uh, kung fu fighting and <laughs> seasons in the sun and the three of us, I mean, uh, Dean probably be embarrassed that I stooge him off, but and but we've just still talked uh, about it to this uh, a couple of years ago. I saw Dean at a, at a at a fundraiser, at local fundraiser, and we talked about it. And we sat there the whole way through the desert with the top off, and we sang seventy songs on the top of our lungs like we were little teeny bopper girls, and uh, uh, just uh, 
You know, it's just but how great is that, man? Just, how, seriously, how great the fuck is that? It, it, it's not embarrassing at all, man. You got that memory uh, of you and Dean and Brian, man. That is, see, that's what this business does, man. That's, I'm getting chills if you tell me that story. Yeah. You're fucking listening to 70 seasons in the sun, constant <laughs> fighting and what have you. And you're like, what the? That that's the beauty of the business, man. But I, but I can just picture you guys doing that, and Mark with the biggest fucking smile on his face of all of you, going, man, how lucky am I? He was just cancer free and beyond there a few guys on the road doing something we want to do and singing fucking 70 songs that's that's awesome man see you're fucking smarting me up man <laughs> that's um, cool hey so you had a, a few year run in wcw uh t- tell me how that came about and any positive or negative memories i know most people have negative memories of wcw but any positive or negative and ha- how did that come about uh who hooked you up with uh with that I went down to right after Smoky Mountain shut down. I went down to Knoxville. I spoke to Kevin Sullivan, and Kevin and I spoke in the back. and And I spoke to Arn first, and it was just um, brief. And I went around a corner and and uh, spoke to Terry Taylor. I hadn't met him before. I spoke with Terry, and then I ran into Kevin. and Kevin put his hand on my shoulder and said, "Bobby, if you want a job, you got one." And I said, oh, thank you very much. He goes, call Paul at the office on Monday. So I called, but at the time they weren't doing contracts. And when I called and spoke to Paul, and I had met Paul when I was in Smoky Mountain. As you know, Obviously, I met Kevin there as well. The only one I didn't know was um, was Terry at the time. But um, when I called um, Paul, he was like, well, I need you to go to uh, Macon, Georgia. And it was like a, it was like a $200 payoff or something. It's not, and I go, you know, I was just talking to him. I said, man, I said, you know, $200 to go to Mass. I man, I'm, that's a long trip. I said, I'm making $200 up here every night on the Independence. And I was, you know, I just come off the Smoky Mountain TV and I was at least three or four times a week making a couple hundred bills, uh, just not even counting gimmicks, you know, so I was getting bookings. And um, he goes, well, we're not really doing contract. He goes, You're, it's only about four hours from from Atlanta, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not in Knoxville anymore. I'm, I'm back up in Kentucky. I said, that's, I'm like eight hours from Atlanta. And I said, I know that's like 75-hour mile. He goes, well, I could probably bump it up to like three bills, but, you know, we're not, you know, and we talked, and I was like, it just wasn't right. So once again, I went to an arena, uh, went to Dayton, Ohio, spoke to Kevin in the back, saw Terry, this and that, and Kevin goes, I thought you were starting. I go, and I told him what happened. He goes, that's understandable. It's, it's you know, we just gentlemen, like Arn, you say, just two gentlemen conducting business, you know, just talking business. So um, I went to, I had a couple of tours of Japan under my belt, and I had came back from um, Japan, and I had a message on my machine, and I thought, that's a fucking rib, you know, because it's supposed to be Terry Taylor calling me from, you know, WCW. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I ignored it, man, because you know how the boys are. They'll fuck with you, you know. And um, Almost, so almost everybody has a story about they ignored <laughs> exactly. a call because uh, they thought it was a rib. So that just, just, just shows the way the business was. I mean, even Jimmy Hart, uh, we haven't had him on the podcast yet, but uh, – but Jimmy's a great friend of mine, and Jimmy ignored the first call from Vince McMahon. He thought it was Austin Idol playing a joke. Yeah. So I didn't know who it was, but I like, fuck, I ain't no Terry Taylor, you know. But uh, so a couple of weeks went by, and, um, you know, back then you had the, uh, I don't know, I had no cell phones or nothing. And I pick up the phone, and he's like, hey, yeah, this is, uh, you know, Terry Taylor. I'm like, yeah, this is Bobby. And I listen to him, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he goes, uh, you know, would you like to come to Charlotte for a tryout? And so I immediately, man, go to like, you know, well, um, I, I, obviously I'd love a tryout. And I think I had toured Japan two or three times at that point. I go, I'd, I'd love a tryout. You know, I appreciate it very much. Uh, he goes, uh, and it's in Charlotte. He gave me a date. And I said, well, here's the deal. I said, you know what? Uh, Charlotte's like, you know, six hour drive, man. I'm not coming down there for a couple hundred dollars. I'm just telling you right up. Cause again, I'm kind of thinking it's kind of a rib that I'm even going to fucking try out, you know? Right. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm not trying to be a hard ass or a funny ass or nothing. I was just like, just telling them like, you know, uh, I can't go to Charlotte for a couple. <laughs> and Terry goes, Bobby, let me stop you right there. He goes, listen, I'm calling you for a tryout match. We'll give you someone that you can work with and we're going to pay you and we're going to have you, he's, I'm going to give you a number and it's Debbie and travel and she'll make arrangements uh, for a flight down and back. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> of course, my whole attitude changed then. I'm like, okay. So Terry, you know, took the time to give me a call and I went to, went to Charlotte and uh, I tried out. They had three matches that night uh, and I was the uh, second match on. I tried out with Luis Bagoli. And Terry come up to me and said, you know, go out there. You've got about 12 minutes and here, you know, uh, you're not trying to impress anyone. Uh, just have a good match or whatever. And uh, so anyway, I walked away, warmed up, whatever. Terry come back and he said, hey, just so you guys know, forget what I said about trying to impress anyone. He goes, you just have to impress me. Go out there and have a good match. And, uh, you know, how Terry was. So And so we went out there. I worked and come back and uh, Jimmy Hart spoke to me and he said, hey, Terry Taylor's looking for you. And I said, okay, because you know how it is at those arenas, David. You're in a the back, there's fucking 60 guys there, plus sure. all your TV crew. That was, a, that was a nitro, actually. Uh, I remember Jody, you know, called me over, and, you know, he was there in the back, and, you know, tell you the time and, you know, how you did or whatever. All that, you know, the vibe was there. So um, I meet with Terry, and we step out back, and he goes, I'm authorized to offer you a contract, and and uh, here here's – Here's the numbers and here's the dates. Are you interested? I said, absolutely. I said, can you give me just a few minutes to think this over? And um, what I did, I went and I found Dean Malenko. I said, Dean, you got a minute? I'd already talked to, uh, Sean was there actually. Sean and Terry, I, after I spoke to, later on, but before that, I, sp I spoke to uh, to Dean. I said, Dean, here's what they're offering this and that. He goes, um, what would dad tell you, Bobby? He said, what are you making right now? I knew what I was making. I was making about a half of what they'll offer. And I was like, you know, I've got these tours in Japan. I've got these little dates up here, blah, blah. And if I sell some gimmicks, I might pull this down, you know, not what they was offering. Right. And he goes, how many days? And I told him, I said, 65, 72, something like that. I said, thing after that, you know, it's a little bump up. He goes, what would dad tell you? He goes, what are you making now? I told him, he goes, Bobby, do the fucking math. Go tell him you want it. <laughs> so I went back and I found Terry and I said, hey, I want it. And he told me, I don't know, uh, someone in the back here, you probably, I won't mention your name. He said, go give him your you know, name, social security number and all that stuff. And the office will be in touch with you or whatever, you know. Then at the end of the evening there, he called us into the room and they said, we'd like to welcome, you know. And they, they hired me, Spagoli, Chris Adams, uh, uh, Kendall Windham, uh, someone else, you know, something like that. But So, yeah, and, you know, as far as, uh, negative experience a couple of times, you know, I, I called one time down to go to a nitro and it, it uh, I was, was going to start off. I got there and I was supposed to work with like Booker T. 
right. and go like six or eight minutes. And I'm like, how can I not go out there and have a good match with him, right? Well, then that changed, and Terry Taylor come back, well, and he said, hey, the car's changing here. And you know how it was, them Nitro, they're fucking five minutes to eight, and they're not even going, you know, what the hell? So get this shit together, you know. But anyway, it went from me being to Terry just saying something like, Bobby, you're one of the most underused talents we have here. And that, that really made my, you know, Arn used to give me some great compliments, and I never will forget those kind of compliments either. But but that Nitro, you know, I was standing there, I was thinking, oh, fuck, I'm getting ragged right here and do a, a damn squash match for uh, Wrath, whatever. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at Paul. And, and what happened, Bischoff and everyone went over on their minutes or whatever. And so, you know, it's live TV, and you're trying to do your thing. And then that minute, that eight-minute match went to three, down to basically get a kick in, he's going to squash you, boom, that's it. And I remember Paul looking at me going, Bobby, just go out there and do, you know, do your job. Don't say no, you know, give him a reason, whatever. And I remember Rocky King saying, did you get your check this week, Bobby? And I said, yeah, he goes, go out there and do your job. God, I was feeling kind of down about it because you know, I, I used to get those, uh, <laughs> the least over show was probably, I guess, worldwide or whatever. I'd get wins on there. You know, Terry always booked me in good matches. I'd, I'd have good matches with everyone down in Orlando. I really liked that a lot. But here I was going to make, oh, you think I'm making my debut. Even though I might be putting someone over my debut on Nitro, uh, it went from, you know, to nothing, basically. And believe it or not, it was like right at the top of the hour, boom, took the pin, whatever. And later that evening, I was sitting around, and I just kind of, you know, sulking your beer, going, oh, man, you made your Nitro uh, debut, and you get fucking squashed. And uh, someone, I, I think I said with Scott and Steve Armstrong, and Scott said, Bobby, do you know how many people saw that match? <laughs> I go, what do you mean? He goes, it came on right at 9 o'clock. He said, everyone fucking flipped over to Raw. He said, no one probably <laughs> even saw you during three seconds. He goes, it didn't hurt you, believe me. And we just sit like at a Friday's after what I what? He goes, he goes, that fucking match aired like right at nine o'clock. He said, everyone flipped their fucking channel, you idiot. And I swear to you, I, I kept thinking people's gonna, you know, browbeat me in my hometown or whatever. You know, you're sitting there thinking, Oh yeah, you're gonna be on nitro. Dude, I was at a restaurant about two weeks after that, and no one's ever even mentioned that. You know, I have to tell them that story I was on Nitro because they didn't watch it. I had one kid. This kid come to me about 17 years old probably. wasn't quite 18. He looked at me like, ah. And he's giving me his look, and I go, here it goes. He's going to come up and start some <laughs> shit. And this this kid, he, he was, uh, you know, just a kid, but nonetheless, you're a little bit defensive, you know. Sure. And I'm sitting there, and I'm walking up the pay, and he goes, hey, man, are you Bobby Blake? I go, yeah. He goes, I saw you on Nitro the other day. He goes, man, you know how awesome it was to see someone from my hometown on TV? That was awesome. I shook my hand and walked out, and I said, what the fuck? Of all the people that did flip, this kid didn't, <laughs> and he had something nice to say. Because, you know, you're defensive a little bit sometimes, you know? And, I mean, I was. I mean, I, but here it was. This kid gave me a big fucking compliment. I'm like, all right, you know. But, yeah, so uh, the negative, man, I made made good money, had a good time, met good people. And, uh, you know, hell, we got paid, man. You didn't pay for airline tickets. And, you know, you stayed in pretty decent hotels there and drove nice rented cars. And, I mean, it wasn't all fucking rainbows and sunshine and shit you know that and unicorns and lollipops but yeah. but fuck man you go to orlando for 10 fucking days and shoot tvs and you only have to wear like five of them maybe and get a pass out there at universal and fucking hang out like a kid you know i mean uh yeah i could probably sit there and pick it apart if i wanted to but i like, i ain't got time for that man i had a good fucking time um uh, those turner checks didn't bounce as you know yes, when that fucking check came from fedex it came it was real money and that's just like terry you know i sit there talking to terry and sean later he goes hey you know you're gonna put you in some match you're gonna win some you're gonna lose some he goes but here's the thing 
your match isn't real, his match isn't real, but this money's fucking real. Do you want it? And I'm like, yes, sir, I do. You know, so I signed up for that, you know. Sure. But I knew what I was getting into, and um, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd go back and try to do it. You know, I, I negotiated there towards the end, and it just didn't work out, as you know, because all the cuts started coming. We all saw it on, you know, the writing was on the wall. But, um, you know, hell, you go back, you do more of it, do it better, and and uh, and, and do what's asked of you. It's just like if you go to, to be a school teacher or a plumber or, or a salesman, you know, you, real estate, you get up and you fucking try to do your job the best way you can, and, and, you, and you take pride in it. And that's, and that's where I really got the pin me, pay me from was I got it from a movie that came out like in 1985 called Runaway Train. I didn't even get it from the business, even though I know other people had said, you know, pin me, pay me or whatever. Um, I, it's about two convicts escape and they're on a runaway train and the one convict just tells the other one, he goes, man, you know, if you could do this and he starts saying, you look at that floor, you know, you get a little job and a fucking ex-convict can get, and you, you scrub that toilet, you wipe, you wipe off that cafeteria tray, but you fucking do it, you know? And, um, that's the way the rest of this to me is like, you know what, this is, this is my job tonight. My job is to win or my job is to make Dave Penzer look good or I'm going to put so-and-so over, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it the best way way I can do it and make it as look as good as I can and, and take as much pride in what I do as I can. And these people are out there busting their ass every day. They pay six, eight, twenty dollars or you know, eighty dollars for a pay-per-view, whatever you happen to be on. Because I was on a couple of World War Threes and then sure. of course some big bigger shows in Japan where I know them ticket for thirty, sixty, eighty dollars, something like that over there. And I'm thinking these people bust their ass all day and come to this arena. And I might be out there 10 minutes or 15 minutes or however long I'm going to be out there. By God, they're getting their money's worth. Well, they pay $8 or $80. If my match, they're going to see someone have a good match. Whether I win, lose, or draw, I want that person to say, man, that one match. And Malenko told me this in one of the very first shows I worked on. He said, in the end, it doesn't matter if you win or lose the match. He said, every match I re- wrestled, Chris the Dr. Proctor, um, on an outdoor show that Larry used to have over one of those uh, car lots. And he said, before I went there, I knew I was putting Chris over. He told me, blah, blah. Chris had been a former student. And he, he says, Bobby, I lost 95% of the matches I ever had, but no one remembers that. He goes, here's what you do every match. He goes, whether you win or lose, he goes, and whether it goes five minutes or 50 minutes, you do one thing in that match that really stands out, and that'll get you over. And if you get yourself over and get the other guy over, that'll get the match over. Sure. And if that's fucking simple, go out there and do your job. I'm going to get you over. I'm going to get me over. I'm going to do one thing. Hopefully, it stands out in someone's mind. Said, did you see that guy poke his fucking eyes? You know, because Larry poked the eyes. We'll just throw right. that in there. But whatever. And they say, yeah. Well, who won the match? I don't know, but did you see that guy? He fucking he poked him in the eyes, you know? So you give him that one thing, and they're like, well, I don't know who won. You know, I don't give a fuck. They had a good time. That's the point, you know? That's so. that's exactly 100% right. If uh, you, you, you speak the truth. If you give them something to remember, uh, you get the match over, and you get yourself over. And uh, I'm sure that was a mimic from, uh, from Dean uh, uh, because he heard his father say that. Uh, so many times. Hey, it's funny you mentioned about how you were on the top of the hour at nine o'clock and they were t- saying that nobody watched you. To this day, Jimmy Hart is I can't say to this day. I haven't spoke to him in a few in a few weeks. But Jimmy Hart was convinced that instead of twelve million people watching wrestling on a Monday night, there were like six or seven million people and they just go from one channel to the other. You know? So because there was on paper, you know, Nielsen had twelve million people watching. 
But right, he was right, convinced yeah. that, you know, there was just the same six, seven million people, which is still <laughs> a lot of people uh, back in the day. Uh, that that so so in his theory, uh, you would not have only about 150 people would have seen you get killed by wrath. So, <laughs> so hey, and, and and just to be clear, if people don't know, I'm 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 99 percent sure that the Paul you've been talking about is Paul Orndorff, correct? Yes, sir. Just, yes, yes, just, that was Paul. Just if people wondered. Um, yeah, I'd met him at Smoky Mountain prior to. That's back when uh, WCW, some of the guys, Bobby Eaton, Paul Orndorff, Kevin Song, some of those guys had come up and worked for uh, Jimmy over here at Smoky Mountain when he was first starting. Yeah. So it carried over when I was in WCW. I, you know, I, I conducted business with those men. You know, Because of that, they saw me working you know, house shows for Jimmy and, and, and stuff like that. So, I, and plus they also knew that I, you know, was trained by professor Boris Malenko. You know, they always mentioned that that was one of the strongholds I had, man. Um, it was just one of those things. And, and first time that Kevin Sullivan, I told him is, is one of these funny things. When, when the first loop I'd done, Kevin was on the card and he was working every night at that, that four day loop I was telling you about. And they, um, I don't know, maybe the second night was on a Saturday, maybe. Anyway, it was a battle royal, and I had seen him out there. He's, he's fighting Brian Lee, you know. And um, so we got the battle royal, and all I kept seeing, I'd only met Kevin at that time down in Florida at the uh, old sportatorium there. I worked a couple of shows on Tuesday. Right. Um, Pat Tanaka was booking it. Um, Kev was over there. I can't remember. Jumbo and Rico, Rico actually took me over there at the time, you know, back in the day. Well, anyway, so I'd only met Kevin briefly. And, of course, in Smoky Mountain, had separate locker rooms and all that. But the second or third night, and I'm seeing him, he's out there every night just, you know, beating up uh, uh, Brian Lee. And I'm like, and then, of course, I've seen him on TV for years. So I'm like, oh, God, he's going to just chop me. <laughs> I can see it now. As soon as here I am, you know, white meat, baby face, just now coming to territory. We get that battle royal. Kevin Sullivan's going to come to me. And I kept visualizing him just chopping the living shit out of me, you know, beat me up. And I'll be damned. We go to the ring. We're in some little town up in eastern Kentucky. And as soon as it goes off, Kevin comes straight towards me, <laughs> locks up light as can be, backs me into a corner saying, I heard Larry Malenko trained you. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He did. He goes, put your hand on top of my head. And I'm sitting there going, what? But to myself, you go, what? what? And I put my hand on top of his head and he walked <laughs> Put his hand on top of my walk to the middle of the ring. There are like 12 guys on there or whatever. And he threw himself over the top rope. <laughs> Turned around, flipped me off, and said, screw you, Bobby Blaine, screw you. And walked out of her like, you know, hot as can be because he was the first one eliminated or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just survived it. <laughs> but, see, it was all because Malenko had trained me, man, that, you know, Kevin – and, of course, he saw me working, too, and Jimmy probably, you know, here's who's going over, whatever. And uh, But, yeah, it was that, that respect level right there. And, he, it, you know, Kevin had that for, for Larry and, and showed some to me and showed some mercy on me. And, and out of that, you know, I, I think nothing but respect for him. And I tell you, uh, another person who's no longer with us is Chief Wahoo McDaniel. And there was a guy running these uh, fair shows and, and, and ballpark shows uh, back in the day up here in the Carolinas and Kentucky and stuff. And I was off one night and you could work on independent shows if you did, if it did conflict with your Smoky Mountain schedule. Someone called me and said, hey, I got your book with Wahoo McDaniel up here in West Virginia, like an hour and a half from my house. You want it? I said, hell yeah. Didn't talk to him or anything. Get to the ring. It's the main event, of course. And it's just a small outdoor, you know, county fair thing. A couple hundred people standing around. And as soon as we locked up, he goes, I heard Malenko train you, kid. 
And, uh, you know, we, we did the thing. I, without even asking, I already knew, you know, you would take a couple of chops and you could fucking go down and take the pin after about eight or ten minutes as a county fair. Boom, 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 boom. Get a little bit of heat, whatever. Chop time, go down. He pins me, he goes, if you ever want to get booked, kid, don't tell people at Mary L- Larry Malenko trained you. They'll think you're going to stretch them. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, kid. Thanks, you know. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I go in the back, you know, you're outside, and people leaving here and there, and here he comes across the way. I go meet him. I thank him. He goes, you know, I was kidding about uh, Larry. I said, yeah. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He, goes, he goes, use that name anytime you can to get booked because he was a great tra- Great, great wrestler and a good trainer. And I said, thank you. And he said, no, thank you for the match. And I'm thinking, this is fucking William McDaniel, you know. But because of that, Professor Boris Malenko, because Larry Malenko, the kindness that he took the time to train me and train me to be a man, train me outside. I had to conduct myself outside the ring, around the wrestling business. And those, those things are embedded in your life, you know. Uh, here we are, you know, fucking 30 years later, still speaking about it, you know. Absolutely. So, and then, so, by, yeah. and by the way, there's no doubt in my mind that if Kevin Sullivan uh, uh, wasn't showing you respect because you were trained by Larry Malenko, he would have chopped the ever-loving crap out of you. Not a Absolutely. doubt in my mind. <laughs> We've spoken about it since then, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and you know what? I would have fucking taken it because sure. I understood the grounds that I was where I was at and what I was supposed to be there for you, you know, so, but he didn't, he, he bestowed upon me some respect, our respect for my trainer and our respect probably for Cornette to say, you know, I don't go out here and kill this kid or whatever, you know, but he'd also see me work two or three times at that point for those, those nightly shows that he knew that Jimmy probably had plans for me, but uh, yeah, put your head on, you know, put your hand on my head, you know, I'm like, and I, I put it up and he held it on there and just jumped over the top rope, spun around, flipped me off and screw you, Bobby Blake. I'm like, what the I was like, how? You know, I didn't think at the moment because someone else probably glommed me from behind or whatever, but I was thinking, how fucking cool is that? I know when I ride home, I kept thinking, man, the taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, he, <laughs> you know, I was just, because uh, I didn't know there was a battle roll that night. At that time, I had a booking sheet. Like I said, I was filling in for like the first four nights or whatever it was, and I just went out there and worked. Like I said, the fourth night when Brian uh, come to me and said, you know what, you're finished. Well, well whatever. But um, anyway, yeah, some of those guys all goes back to, again, Proper training under Malenko, how to conduct yourself as a man, how to conduct yourself around a business, you know. Great stuff. Uh, uh, so yeah, glad, I, so glad that, uh, that 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 we got you on. Uh, how how do people find your podcast? Yeah, on my podcast, it's Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Um, it's on iTunes and uh, you know all the places you fucking steal these podcasts from. I don't know where they where they give them away at iTunes and and. Uh, uh, podcast addict and it's but it's bell to bell bobby blaze on twitter you can follow me at twitter um that's my social media is at bobby blaze 744 uh you know i build up my uh twitter following as we spoke about earlier um you find me there also my books are available on amazon i have two wrestling books pin me pay me how boost will travel which we spoke about this evening and dave i cannot thank you enough for having me on to to, to promote that book also i have a second book called um i kicked out on two the educational wrestler that came out a couple years ago I have a couple short stories also but just visit me on amazon it's under bobby blaze medley um 
Again, you follow me at Bobby Blaze 744 on Twitter, or you can just go to my Amazon page. Or if you go and type in pin me, pay me, more than likely it's going to be one of your first pop-ups. And if you type in bell to bell with Bobby Blaze, if you just type in bell to bell, it'll probably pop up too because it's been getting a lot of good, you know, feedback. Uh, you know, we're just building up. It's been up in the air for like six weeks now. And uh, that's where you can find me at, man. That's that's my big main social media. So hit me up there. And um I'd love to hear from all the fans once this thing uh, gets on the air. You know, tell tell me, hey, I heard you on on the podcast, man, because I'll, I'll definitely put you over, Dave. You know that, brother. And um, it's, it's nothing but love and respect because we have that love and respect for for the wrestling business and Malenko and, and all these people we mentioned. You know, no one tried to bury anyone or make anyone look bad or anything because there's no need for that. Not in my life, man. We're gonna keep it positive and keep it all about love and respect. And and it's just an honor that you took the time out of your day to let me know you'd like to have me on your podcast and hear my story. And I appreciate that most sincerely. And I know my peas pop on this microphone, so excuse me. But uh, I always had I, that I problem. Thank you. I always yeah. had that problem too. Hey, hey, you know, uh, you need some work on the self-promotion stuff. Uh, you, you need to get a little, no, I'm kidding. You got that. You got that down great. We got the headbutt. Well, I knew you'd cut me off, motherfucker. No, no. <laughs> I, you was gonna make a comeback on me. <laughs> no. Hey, uh, hey, you reminded me of a lot of fun times and uh, and and uh, and a great conversation. And I hope the, the the listeners enjoy it as well. Hey, thanks, Bobby. I appreciate. It. Stay in touch. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. I want to definitely thank Bobby Blaze for a fun conversation. Like I said, love to uh, to talk to people whose story you may not know, and I really hope you enjoyed. Uh, got a lot of people in common, Larry Malenko, Dean Malenko, Brian Hildebrand, Bobby Eaton, uh, just a lot of people, uh, Terry Taylor, Kevin Sullivan, uh, just a lot of people that we're both friends with. And uh, the, 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 the reminder of the uh, this Jew's taking the money story, uh, you know, people talk about uh, – mic drop moments that might have been my mic drop moment of my life not my career of my life but uh because uh, i popped the plane and most of the, there was a good amount of wrestling people on that popped it but uh a uh, lot of uh a lot of uh just passengers that had no idea but uh, uh, but, uh and i just got off the plane and walked off grabbed my, my carry-on bag my briefcase and walked off uh didn't give didn't look back and uh so funny story and god not sure you could say something like that anymore. Uh, it's uh, a different world we live in, for better or for worse. But uh, uh, th- thanks a lot again to Bobby for um, for his stories and his time in the wrestling business. You could tell that uh, this guy still loves the business just as much as the first day he ever watched it. And uh, uh, that's why I like talking uh, to guys, because it comes through uh, how much they love it, how much they appreciate it. And next week should be a lot of fun. Our guests will be Ricky Morton, one half of the Rock and Roll Express, uh, recent members in the WWE Hall of Fame. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, And uh, Ricky is sort of in that vein of Rip Rogers and Bobby Blaze, good old uh, Southern guys who uh, drop a lot of F-bombs and tell it like it is. And that's just, that's the way it was back in the the 90s and early 2000s in the wrestling business. And uh, uh, which is why I like to, you know, hear these stories and and get them all out there for you to enjoy, I hope. Again, hit us up at David Penzer at Penzer Ringside and uh, be sure to leave a review if appropriate. And uh, if you haven't already, please download. You get this podcast each and every Monday morning waiting for you all wrapped up in a bow. 
Until next time, this Jew's taking the money. My name is David Penzer. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a dark delight with Frank and Beans Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Even though we see things that are being made and bombshells that are being dropped and testimonies that is contradicting everything that we've been made to believe about everything so far, things that should really shock the world, they're being buried underneath Whoopi Goldberg and her smoker's cough. That's exactly what the hell is going on with all this shit because they don't. There's no competition in media. It does. It's it's hard. It's hard to say. Okay, it's all right. We have Tucker Carlson. You know, it's that's very very hard. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting back against the tide. And, um, and and that's that's what it really comes down to. That's what makes the days good or bad. It's not that there isn't hope out there. It's just that because of the illusions and the movie that is being orchestrated in front of our eyes on television and elsewhere, it feels like we're fighting against the tide. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.